0: You're tuned in to the Tin roof Farm Radio Show, a podcast from Greenville, South Carolina, on all things food, beverage, locally roasted coffee, and craft beer. I'm John Malick, the lesser half of Greenville's best-loved chef couple, John and Amy Malick, and we're broadcasting from our Tin roof Farm in Piedmont, South Carolina. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. Well, since it's mid-October and we're coming up on Halloween, I thought I would share a ghost story. Um, The last position I had in Charleston, I was the executive sous-chef at the Mills House Hotel. And if you're familiar with the old part of Charleston, Charleston history, the Mills House uh, dates back to 1853. Uh, The building survived the Civil War, and eventually it was... um, it was rebuilt in, uh, I think the, the late sixties, um, a few parts of the hotel had to be demolished and then the whole thing was rebuilt, but the, but the facade is, has uh, remained anyway. So in the late nineties, um, mid nineties, whatever, <laughs> when I started at the, I started at the hotel and the kitchen was on the first floor, it was, it was almost, um, below street level, um, the So I go through the typical orientation period, and, and then about a month later, uh, the sous chef, uh, this guy named Mark, uh, uh, pulls me aside, and he goes, uh, Hey, chef, i got to talk to you. And I said, Sure, what's up? And he said, Look, occasionally, you know, there may be a sighting of this real riverboat gambler that might haunt the fourth floor. He goes, I've never seen him. However... <laughs> Usually he'll he'll appear. Sometimes he'll appear to um, uh, one of our housekeepers, and if that ever happens, um, we have a first aid kit. And so he showed me. It was in the employee break room. We had a um, an oxygen bottle, <laughs> we had a Bible, uh, some smelling salts, and a couple of little um, little mini bottles of of whiskey and vodka. And uh, <laughs> he said, I just want you to know where it is. And when the time comes, you'll know. But this is where we keep all this stuff. And I, I said, "All right, yes, sir." And I kind of put it out of my mind. And and um, about three or four months later, it was uh, it was Sunday. We were doing Sunday brunch, and and I was there. And one of the um, one of the housekeepers comes running into the kitchen, and she's screaming, "Chef, chef, chef, get out of here!" <laughs> and so fortunately, it was already it was already later in the day. It was like 1.32, uh, mid-afternoon, you know? And so, um, so I go running into the break room and we had this, uh, housekeeper. She was, I hadn't met her before, uh, but she was relatively new and she was from the Caribbean. And I found out later, you know, she'd only been there about a month and she was just in an absolute panic. And a couple of the other housekeepers were fanning her with newspapers and somebody had already, brought her the oxygen bottle and the Bible. And so she she had the little oxygen mask up on her face, and she's ah, ah, take, taking these deep breaths. And she had a bump on her head, so somebody, one of the cooks brought her a Ziploc bag with some ice in it, and so we put that on her head. And uh, and so she she's, poor thing, she's just in having having a fit and she takes the oxygen mask off her face she goes i gotta quit this job i can't work here anymore she puts her mask back puts the mask back on her nose and starts breathing in and um so eventually we get her we get her calm down she opens up the bible she starts reading from the gospel of john and um later on that day uh, after she's put her, after she's put in her notice, <laughs> I found out that she was uh, cleaning upstairs on the on the fourth floor. And so, typically, when uh, housekeepers work, they will work as a team, right? And so, there'll be three or four in a group, and they'll all move together, you know, from room to room. Uh, so, thank God for that, right? <laughs> so, she was she had gone into the hallway to get something out of the cart. And the ghost of this riverboat gambler who supposedly was shot at the hotel, uh, I can't remember if it was pre or post Civil War, comes walking down the hallway, and he's not walking so much as like levitating, and she could see right through the guy, you know, and he was very well dressed, uh, with a with a long coat and a scarf around his neck, and he had a big stove-top hat and a full beard. And so as they approach as they approached our housekeeper, he tips his hat and he says, good afternoon madam and then he just disappears right in front of her just evaporates <laughs> and this poor woman she's just like she fell over backwards landed on the floor thankfully it was it was carpeted and the other housekeepers were right there they heard the thud and they and they picked her up and immediately they brought her downstairs to the break room because that's where we kept the ghost first aid kit <laughs> and of course she was fine she was <clears throat> she didn't have any she didn't have a concussion or anything like that <laughs> but I was there for um, 15 16 months or so and that was one of two times that uh, uh, one of those particular ghosts had appeared there was actually two ghosts that live in the in the Mills house hotel um, one of them appeared to a, uh, to a customer, to a, uh, to a guest. And I don't know the whole story of that. I don't know the details, <laughs> but, but I do know that one. So if you're ever at, stay at the Mills House Hotel in Charleston, um, and you're into that sort of thing, when you check in, ask them about the ghosts, they'll probably stay, uh, at first they'll probably say, no, we don't have any ghosts here. But if you press them on it, I'll bet they would say, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> That is the lead in for uh, our next guest, uh, Chris Sermons. Chris is a um, he is a brilliant farmer and he's been a professional farmer here in the upstate uh, since 2003 or four. Uh, he'll tell you shortly. And we happened to be when we, when we sat down with Chris and, and started talking to him, uh, he reminded me that when Amy and I had our restaurant at 33 Liberty, we were his first customers, his first chef customers. And um, that really that made me smile. Now Chris, if you're, if you're a fan of any of the farmer table restaurants or if you've been to the downtown farmers market, uh, he's been a fixture at the downtown farmers market for, for years. So thank you very much and let's get to our interview. So welcome to the Tin Roof Farm studio, Chris Sermons and special treat. My wife, Amy, is joining us in the studio. Welcome, Chris. Oh, thank you, Amy (laughs) and John. Glad to be here. So, y'all, Chris Sermons is perhaps the best-known farmer, as far as chefs go. Uh, He could be the best-known farmer in the upstate. And if you are a fan of farm-to-table cuisine... If you've eaten at any restaurant in Greenville that preaches farm to table cuisine, then you have had Chris's produce. Is that not correct?
1: Yes, I would think that would be um, correct.
2: Who got you interested in farming, Chris?
1: Well, I would like to think that it um, wasn't any one person, as maybe it was um, several or just experiences I had as a kid, Um, and uh, it's just something that I've um, kind of gravitated towards. Mm
2: -hmm. Tell us a story about when you were a kid and you were farming.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I didn't grow up on a farm. Greenville's my hometown, Um, but I'm, as most southerners are, only two or three generations removed from farmers, and My uncle had a tobacco farm in eastern North Carolina, so I feel like that was one of my first uh, exposures to farming, and um, as well as maybe seeing a watermelon farm when I was quail hunting down in the low country one time. And uh, you know, it's uh, farming is never far away from our uh, um, you know our our thoughts. Um, So you know,
0: it was definitely an option. Mm So as a as a kid, Chris, do you remember having an affinity for dirt, always digging around in the soil and wondering how things grew? Yeah, well, like uh, most kids in the you
1: know pre 80s, pre 90s, before well, cable TV and and uh, uh, ubiquitous internet access, I played outside as a kid and um, we built forts and and uh, spent the whole day outside, you know. Um, Played Kick the Can, so forth. And I do remember... You that...
0: played Kick the Can? You're not that... Come on, you're like 24 or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not really. Um,
0: <laughs> and I,
1: I remember um, doing a, a, a project in, uh, I think it was elementary school, on uh, soil erosion. So, it, you know, it's definitely been something that's... Um, you know, that's interested me and and, uh, just conservation and and nature in general have been, been, you know, kind of the touchstones for me to get into farming. Mm
2: -hmm. So when did you take the leap to be a professional farmer, if that's what you call yourself?
1: Yeah, that was in 2004. Um, So, you know, it's been a few years ago, 14, next year will be our 15th year.
2: You're very, I mean, you're very defined about that. What what was that? That's when you incorporated bioway.
1: That's when we planted asparagus for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> when was... I convinced my father <laughs> that, that we should grow food for people and not deer, and so that's yep. when we planted our first commercial crop, the asparagus, mm-hmm. and then planted uh, more for three successive years after mm-hmm. that. And more asparagus, or just yeah, more asparagus, yeah. So, and more crops in yeah. general.
2: So that's how we kind of first came to know you, which would have been when we had the restaurant, um, was that somebody said, you have to get Chris Sermon's asparagus. It was like the white truffle of vegetables in upstate South Carolina. It was like, you have to get a hold of Chris Sermon and get Sermon's and get his asparagus because it is the best. And restaurants were like, Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I know we were, you were like, well, we only have so many pounds for you. We only have so many pounds for them. I mean, there's much more restaurants in Greenville now, but back then, 2004, 5, mm-hmm. 6, um, you could choose who you sold to. And we were one of them, and we were thrilled to get it.
1: Right. Yeah, it's only white asparagus if it grows up through a fire ant mound. Um, <laughs> wanted to make that clear. Um, we don't, we, we don't uh, grow white asparagus. In 2005, it was Hurricane Katrina. I remember the year of Hurricane Katrina, and I had received some heirloom seeds from a guy that was prepping for Y2K. Oh.
2: And
1: at that point, he felt like the coast was clear and he could give those seeds away. <laughs> so I, I,
2: when the plan- world was going
1: to end in 1999, <laughs> and we all we all thought the world yeah, was going to end. Six years later, together. okay. What's what's old is new again, and. I grew some uh, heirloom uh, melons and sold them to John at 33 Liberty uh, because I had no other choice. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. Didn't, I, mean, <laughs> I didn't know any other places that, that uh, bought farm-to-table cuisine. and yeah. Um, yeah, So that was uh, Minnesota Midget and um, uh, the one other it was a... Uh, it was a honeydew melon. Right, exactly.
0: Oh. And they were gorgeous. There's was, was, was the Swedish nightingale.
1: I'm trying to remember her name. Yeah. Um, and that was that was my first restaurant sale.
2: So
1: what? We were, we were? Yeah.
2: 2005. Wow. So did your dad 30. just shove you out the door and say, "Go sell this stuff, Chris"?
1: No, no. He was he was focused on the asparagus. So I was doing the other crops. Yeah. You know? Ireland
2: and
1: the right the, the other crops. The kind of challenging. Yeah, growing more uh, every year and mm-hmm. trying different crops and just getting trying to get a little bigger and better with successive years.
0: So do you still grow
1: asparagus? I do have a quarter acre still of that original uh, plantings. Uh, it was from 2007. So, yeah, I still do have a quarter acre. Um, it may be plowed under next year, but we'll, we at least have one more year of, of mm-hmm. the uh, fresh asparagus crop.
2: Yeah. Can you give us some seeds?
1: I can definitely <laughs> give you seeds. I don't know. And that, also, is hard I have do,
2: grow asparagus from seeds.
1: The Conover's colossal uh, heirloom that I might have mentioned to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we can we can also uh, sell you some of that for your personal garden. But yes, you can grow seeds of the um, Jersey really? series of asparagus that I grow. Oh. It won't be quite the same, but oh. it's coming from good stock.
2: Well, I started it from the what do you call them the crowns this Mm -hmm. year yeah so it was the first my first year my dad grew asparagus at one time not like for sale (laughs) just in his garden
0: so so chris right now as we're recording it's mid-october so what's in season now at the farm and what's coming up soon well as far as storage crops right now we've got
1: um abundant amount of sweet potatoes uh we have uh, lots of winter squash, such as Georgia candy roaster. We're growing a hybrid Seminole butternut squash. Mm. We had delicatas earlier this summer. We or, had
2: those. Those were delicious. Yeah.
1: Um, in addition to that, all kinds of greens um, from, you know, collard greens, yellow cabbage collards, curly kale. Uh, we're growing thick stem Chinese mustards. Hakarai turnips, uh, a couple of different types of, of radishes. Uh, Brussels sprouts, sprouting broccoli. Wow, um, the list goes on. A couple different types of cabbages. And mm-hmm.
2: um, are you harvesting so Brussels sprouts right now?
1: No, they're they're a long maturing crops, so they're still a month or two away. And yeah, they the want farm. it
2: to be cool. Do they want need cool weather? Yeah,
1: they do. Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah, they okay. definitely need cool weather. But their their maturation is more like ninety, hundred days, which mm-hmm. for a you know, for uh, brassicas a long time.
2: Right. Yeah. So now where will you, where will those be? Because the farmer's market's gone then when those are maturing. So right. Where can we eat by way Brussels sprouts?
1: Well, first and foremost, I would say my CSA, which um, is underway right now, but we will have an extension um, at the end of November. So they should be in that. Uh, you could also find them at uh, some of the off-season markets that we do, like the Brewery 85 Toasty Farmer Market. Oh yeah. Of course, that doesn't start until end of December. Until then, we're also doing one um, at the Birdslay South Brewery on Sunday mornings. Um, and then, of course, we've got two more weeks of the Saturday Market downtown Greenville. In addition to that, we sell to retail to. Uh, <laughs>
0: might not edit that out <laughs> your ringtone is Lawrence well it's a Lawrence Well tune <laughs> from like 1949 or something <laughs> okay. I forgot to turn it off uh... <laughs> so, that's okay I... carry on. where were
1: you, you... retail <laughs> I sell to the swamp rabbit cafe and grocery and um and easily to the pharmacy um And then on the menu, you can see uh, you can have our produce at uh, Stella's Brasserie, Bistro, Bacon Brothers, um, GB&D, Anchorage, uh, Swamp Rabbit, as I mentioned, and um, a few
0: few other restaurants that order Mm -hmm.
1: from me occasionally. Yeah, Yeah,
0: cool. From a a very much a um, novice farmer to a pro. I'm guessing that you get asked a multitude of farming questions when you're when you're out and about and people recognize you. Oh, Chris! Oh, oh, my onions are dying, or my sage is <laughs> nothing grow well asparagus? To. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll bet that there that there's one specific question that you get more often. That there's probably one question out there um, that the, multi, the majority of people ask you. Mm-hmm. Um... And what would it be? Uh, why
1: aren't my tomatoes <laughs> of course growing of course yeah that, right. that's it you know everybody grows tomatoes yeah I
0: mean,
1: and everybody can't
0: necessarily grow tomatoes but bring us right that why resistance. why is that why can't everybody grow tomatoes
1: uh, you know they're um they're a little Pickier and, and fussier than people realize. Um, there's a lot of diseases and uh, insect pressure. We have a long, hot, humid growing season. So all that plays into it. But, um, you know, they're very prone to disease and insects.
0: Yeah. We notice that we're very successful with our tomatoes. We've noticed every time, every time we go out there and harvest, and our tomato plants tend to be real thick and, you know, you. I got long arms and you stick your arm in there and start plucking tomatoes and, you know, 60 seconds later, you're breaking out because some critter has stung you or bit you or whatever, you know, <laughs> but I don't, I don't really mind. Is that, a, is that a challenge over there when you're harvesting? Are you, do you glove up or you just go in barehanded in, in the hell with the tomato hornworms?
1: <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, we don't. We don't wear gloves or, or anything when we're. Working with tomatoes, we end up green, basically. It gets all over your arms and your hands, um, and that's just part of it. Otherwise, yes, we do wear gloves for things like picking okra, oh, yeah. et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it's not uh, – It's you know, I, I tend to, to farm and garden with my bare hands,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. you know, to get the feel of the you know the earth, the good earth in your hands and, and uh, you know, to exercise that green thumb.
2: Right.
1: It's better with not wearing uh, – Protective clothing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so tomatoes are popular, but what do you grow that you wish more folks would eat? Mm, probably
1: the uh, those Japanese salad turnips I grow. The Hakurai turnips are really great. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Amy loves turnip. Greens.
2: Are those the ones? With, <laughs> those are the greens.
1: No, those are the uh, the salad turnips that are white. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They if if you don't like turnips, then you've not um, tried these. And uh, they're they're great. Okay. Um, they can be eaten out of hand like an apple. Very sweet, What? mild.
0: Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Oh come on now! It's now you're pulling our leg. Oh they're great. Yeah that, they're amazing.
2: That's something that's like gonna be next weekend at the market. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We're, we're full on full bore into them right now. Okay. Hakarai turnip. Mm hmm. Well why not I just eat an apple instead of biting into a Hockerai there? turnip? <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you can you tell them apples uh, don't have greens. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> can so you, the can you tell greens. them not a turnip fan? <laughs>
2: oh yeah. <laughs> um, what were your first crops that were successful for you? I mean, we know you first know you for asparagus, but what were your most successful in the beginning? You're like, oh, I can make a living at this.
1: Well, like most people, I started with summer um, gardens and. Uh, summer crops. So, you know, tomatoes, peppers, okra, you know, eggplant, I guess, squash, you know, the summer staples uh-huh. um, were probably my, uh, you know, uh, you know, ones that, that were most popular and uh-huh. ones that I grew the best. And then, of course, I branched out and, into uh, spring and fall.
2: Right.
1: Um, gardening and farming and, and having production almost year round. Uh-huh. You know, it's been a uh, evolution.
2: So you are an ag- organic farm yeah we're
1: certified organic.
2: Okay and that's been for beginning
1: 2006
0: mm-hmm. 12 years now
2: mm-hmm.
1: Now is that
0: is that something that the state does or is that net
1: It's administered through uh, the US Department of Agriculture.
2: Yeah.
1: but mm-hmm. you do have state um, agencies that might be um, certifiers. in our case it was Clemson mm-hmm. University.
2: We're very fortunate to have Clemson nearby.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. Many for their extension mm-hmm. uh, efforts and and uh, I guess also for the uh, certification.
2: Right, we actually had our soil tested with them, and uh, it was amazing what what for what six dollars can get you analysis wise.
1: Sure. Right. So
2: um, they were it was very helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. That's my first suggestion to anybody starting a garden.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Get your soil tested. Yeah, Right. So how would somebody do that? When when we did it, I just, I had a client in Clemson and so I just dropped it off over there. Mm -hmm. So, but how would somebody else do it? Well,
1: that's a good question because there is a lot more to it than than you think. Um, It's not just, uh, you know, digging in the soil um, and just randomly, you know, putting some dirt in a bag and sending it off. You have to, um, you know, get about a six inch, four to six inch. Um, scoop and, and even, you know, uh, profile of the soil for that, for that length, for that um, amount. And um, you have to do it in several places for your, uh, your particular situation, so it gets a, you know, a, a conglomerate uh, test that, mm-hmm. that you can tell what's in your soil, not just in one place, mm-hmm. but you're looking at the overall area. And mixing it together, putting it in a bag, and sending it off, and telling them what you want to grow, right, is important as right. well. Um, but it's not, you know, digging down uh, six inches and then taking a the soil sample there. Mm-hmm. We've had people do that before, and, and uh, that's incorrect. And so right. there's more to it than just, uh, you know, digging a few holes in the ground and throwing right. it in a bag. And buying yeah.
2: that little soil kit okay, at Lowe's.
1: Yeah. I don't, may or may not be necessary.
2: <laughs> Soil testing kit. No. I mean, for example, in our little garden, I mean, you know, I think we were talking out there, but I found that the tomatoes and the eggplants and the blueberries grow really well in one side. In the other side, the kale just, it just fizzled up. It didn't do anything.
1: It could be that those... Uh... Particular plants like uh, more acid, um, mm-hmm. though actually tomatoes do like a fair amount of calcium.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it might just have been a...
2: There was a lot of zinc. I don't know where the zinc came from, but it was high, very, very high in zinc. So.
1: Well, I'd just be glad it wasn't high in lead.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was. not <laughs>
0: So you're a certified organic. Are you also certified South Carolina?
1: Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Are you a fan of that program? I'm not
1: a, I'm not, not a fan of it. It's just doesn't really register on my, uh, you know, on my radar. It's, right. It's not, it's not something I pay attention to. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, on the certified South Carolina listing, they have us in Greenwood County instead of Lawrence County, so hmm. their information's wrong and. I use their signage
0: sometimes. Right. But it's not. Right. It's not something I promote. Uh-huh. Gotcha.
2: Okay.
0: So let's fantasize here for a minute and say you're head of the Department of Agriculture in South Carolina,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and but but you're only there for a day, and you can make one change.
1: Uh, my change would be to. Um, Give more dedicated um, funding and support to small farms, uh, specifically, you know, produce farms or diverse farms that are growing livestock and crops and not just uh, a single commodity.
0: Right. Peanuts or soy or... Right. or... Timber. Yeah. Right, pine
2: Timber. Pine mm-hmm.
0: trees. Right. Right. Okay. Probably what I would do.
2: So why buy away?
1: The name? Mm-hmm. Uh, actually it's an acronym for by invitation only. Uh Um, I didn't have a choice in the the name. Uh Um, my father retired, got out of the rat race and down out into the country and out of the city was, was his uh, idea of uh, getting away from it all. And so that was what he wanted to name the farm and Mm -hmm. I had no choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, it grew on me in the fact that it's, uh, is a uh, prefix to biodynamic, uh, biologic, which is organic in Europe, Mm -hmm. Um, biodiverse, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, are all things that that I believe in and stand Mm -hmm. for and promote. So Mm -hmm. it actually um, ended up being quite the appropriate It was meant to be. Kind of. Yeah. But I didn't come up with it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what else happens at BioWay Farm? You, You were telling us a little bit about a particular program that's there.
1: We're a wolf farm. As far as uh, labor goes, Woof is an acronym for worldwide opportunities on organic farms. And uh, we've been doing that since 2011. We give room and board to uh, people that want to learn about organic farming, sustainable living, and um, otherwise, uh, you know, work and live in a beautiful place. Um, so that's been very successful for us. It was a shot in the arm when we were a bit, uh, uh, perplexed as to what to do with about the labor mm-hmm. situation because labor is an important uh, part of organic farming. It right. does require more labor. That's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. People need jobs, right? And good jobs, and we feel like that's a, a you know viable opportunity for people. Um, so yeah, WOLF has been a great program for us. Um, we also take apprentices and interns. You know, they work for more hours and longer uh, duration mm-hmm. um, as far as um, the the time of their stay, and uh, in addition to that, we you know I have a micro nursery. I grow native plants and and uh, edible plants that I believe need to be out there um, in the marketplace more. Uh, the farm itself is 120 acres, so we have hunting and we have a six-acre lake that we fish in and. Oh. Also tapped for irrigation as of this past um, nice. spring. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot going on. Raise some livestock on occasion. Would like to do that more so in the future. And uh, we practice permaculture, which kind of encompasses all that I've mm-hmm. kind of mentioned, and kind of like a under a big umbrella there.
2: Well, as a parting gift, we're going to give you a couple of fainting goats <laughs> 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 that don't faint. <laughs> To start your livestock. Oh. <laughs> they're both male, so you have to figure that out. <laughs>
1: yeah. I've got two of my own, uh, Tank and Chaco. And, uh, uh-huh. I don't know how they feel about that.
2: Are they fainting, though?
1: No, they're, they're not quite
0: so dramatic.
2: So, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're just goats. They're just goat goats. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Chris, I'm curious. Where does a professional farmer like yourself vacation? Mm, my last
1: vacation... Was in uh, China and Vietnam. I went there with Slow Food. Oh, cool. Last year, I was picked as a delegate to the Slow Food International Congress and um, got to spend some time on a uh, Slow Food centered vacation in uh, Beijing and Chengdu. And I like the Panhandle region of Florida, the Apalachicola National Forest, and the uh, wildlife refuges down there.
0: So, Chris, I'm curious now, what are your plans for next year? We're going to focus on
1: infrastructure, extending water lines to some of our fields from our lake irrigation system. In addition, focusing maybe more on outreach and marketing. Besides that, uh, maybe a few crops um, that we might look into as far as additions to our to our crop mix. hmm
0: Anything you want to tell us about? Or? It'll be a surprise. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> More turnips. <laughs> More I'm going to try that turnip now. Yeah. Tell me the name of that turnip again. Hakurai. Hakurai. Yeah. Hakurai Japanese turnip. Japanese turnip. Like an apple. Yeah. You can eat it like an apple. You can eat it like an apple. Where, 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 is there any of uh, your restaurant clients buying that right now?
1: Yeah, let's see. Uh, most all of them are husk, which I forgot to mention. I'm sorry. Um, okay
0: is uh chef buck is gonna you know, he'll forgive you song. <laughs> yeah
1: thankfully uh and then some others you know it seems that most of the uh restaurants i sell to tend to want to to use those
0: hmm. um, yeah. okay quick reminder you already mentioned all the restaurants but so if it's uh fall winter where can we find your your uh produce
1: mm-hmm. by joining my csa okay uh at the markets um you know the toasty farmer the Saturday market and then the market at Birds less South on Sundays in addition retail
0: at the swamp rabbit cafe and grocery okay got it the pharmacy and easily yep. well Chris Summers, thank you so much for visiting the studio and, uh, and and thank you for coming out to the farm and and checking it all out you are you hold a special place in our heart I think for what you've done for the community personally I think like the guy that really set us down the right path is Tom Trantham from uh, Happy Cow. And then and then yourself. Um, and you came along and 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 really elevated what we had, what what chefs had available to work with. And it made such a difference on the plate. So thank you very much for all your hard work. And I know you're probably a seven day a week guy. So <laughs> you're probably up with the sun and and uh, working working through dark.
1: I try to be. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. That was very gracious of you, and it's good to bring it uh, full circle from the uh, 33 Liberty Days to you know to this uh, interview tonight. So yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Our, our pleasure.
0: Thank you very much to our guest Chris Sermons and my wife Amy for sitting in with us. I'm John Malik. I'm a recovering chef and a restaurant coach, and I help make restaurants successful. The Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is a production of Jack Russell Social Media, and our music is all gussied up by John Starcluster. Thank you for listening.